0: Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me in studio today, as always, is our pastor of spiritual formation, Reverend Sam Kasten-Smith. And Sam, it is a sleepy Thursday afternoon here in South Florida. It's just about ready for us to take a nap.
1: That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> and someone <laughs> forgot to turn the air conditioner on in our studio. It was and warm. So I'm <laughs> I am I'm extra ready for a nap right it, now. It
0: was warm, I have to so say. So
1: brace yourself. Yeah,
0: here we go. <laughs> We're coming to the last... A good introduction, folks. Are you ready to join us in the latter half of Ephesians chapter 3? <laughs> we have been uh, we've been looking at this particular passage uh, for a while now because it's been part of a 40-day prayer challenge that our church staff did together earlier this year. So it was interesting for me, Sam, as I was breaking down this passage, I- I've read through it so many times. Mm-hmm as part of the prayer challenge, that I felt like, you know, I, like I had to get more from it other than just here's a bunch of stuff Paul wants to say in his prayer to to sort of mine deeper than that was an interesting experience for yeah, me because I felt like I knew too. the passage really, really well. And yet when you start looking into it, there's a lot more yeah. here than the surface level stuff.
1: That's always encouraging. When you're studying scripture, you think you get the sense of it. And then you mine a little deeper, and you're like, holy cow, there's so much more here than I realized at the superficial level.
0: And at some point, you can start with just, let's just start looking for words that the Apostle Paul has made up.
1: Yeah, there's one of them in there's here. There's one of them in here. There's a word here
0: <laughs> that exists nowhere else in the known universe, but right here.
1: I love people who make up words. Yeah, I, I remember have. back in the 80s, the not necessarily the news show when they made up Sniglets. Do you remember yeah, those? It was uh, Rich Hall. Rich Hall, just make up words. Yep. I appreciate those who make do, up words. Do you, do you remember any of them? I do not remember I, I any remember, Sniglets. I
0: remembered many of them. One of my favorite Sniglets was bevimeter. A bevimeter is a measure of distance, and it's how far you can lift your glass from the table before the coaster it was sitting on falls back to the table. That's a bevimeter. <laughs> then there was the uh, ho zone like like hosiery yeah. hosiery the ho zone is the place that all the socks disappear from in your dryer or your washing <laughs> machine they go into the ho zone um i always love the Sniglets. i
1: i like Sniglets I, I also and i've memorized a, a i just you could tell i remember nothing else about that show so i apologize if it's inappropriate <laughs> uh, it's, <laughs> but the sneglets were awesome
0: there, it's, yeah there were there were some of them that were rude and i didn't i'm not quoting them now cuz this is a family show but uh there were a lot of them that were just bevimeter, i still to this day because you know you, you get a you get a glass that's sweating a little bit and then you put it on the coaster and you pick it up from the table and then the coaster sticks to it and it <laughs> drops down i will still say hey it's a bevimeter at which point whoever else is in the room goes oh what and i say it's a sniglet and they're like oh what and yeah. i'm like never mind you're never mind <laughs> <laughs> I'm old, you're not. So Sam's old enough to sort of remember Sneglets.
1: Yeah, my, my, my parents told me about them. Your parents told you about them. No, i <laughs> huh. So um
0: So we come to the 14th verse of uh, chapter 3, and this whole section from verse 14 down to verse 21 is Paul's prayer. He is praying for Um the church that he's sending this letter to, as we said it it, he sent it to Ephesus, but he also sent it I we think to other churches. So this is his prayer for the people that are in these churches. Um and Sam, this is kind you know, maybe set the stage for us a little bit here. This is sort of a in view of everything he said already, Mm -hmm. right? I mean that's kind of how we open up here.
1: For those of you that are fans of keeping track of Paul's run-on sentences, today's passage, verses fourteen through nineteen. Are one sentence. <laughs> so this whole section at the beginning of this prayer, until we get to the very end where he says, "Now to him who is able," that is all one sentence.
0: So once again, one sentence in the Greek. Paul's not a fan of pi- of periods.
1: That is correct. He likes his promise. So verse fourteen, it's going to start with him saying, "For this reason," and if you remember last week, we talked about how in verse chapter three, verse one, he starts, "For this reason." So it's like he's he's repeating himself. <laughs> <laughs> but after verse one last week we said that Paul kinda interrupts himself and he's like, well, well, let me explain this real quick. Yeah. And then verses two to mm-hmm. thirteen he spins on a side note and we talked about covenantal views versus dispensational views. Mm-hmm hopefully that you, that makes sense.
0: If if you if you missed it, you can get the podcast yep, from, from last, from last week. It's out week. week. It's out there.
1: And so right here, he's actually picking up where he was starting in verse 1 for this reason. And so the reason, he's actually alluding to chapter 2. Right. And chapter 2, he has talked about the lengths to which Christ has gone to redeem us who were dead and chasing after right. our own passions. God rich in mercy has covered us. He's raised us up. He's made us alive. He has seated us in the heavenly places. And then at the end of chapter 2, he talks about how in him we are now one people. Jews and Gentiles become one people. We're building a spiritual house. We are becoming the temple of God all over the world. We are the dwelling place of God. And so then he starts this passage, which is now referring back to chapter 2, saying, for this reason... I bow my knees before the Father.
0: When I read that, of course, it, being raised in a liturgical church tradition, we knelt in prayer all the time. Mm-hmm. But Paul, you know, he, he talked about kneeling before God in prayer a few times, but that's not the only posture of prayer. The, you know, you stand and pray. You sit and pray. Christ in the garden that night on Gethsemane, yeah. he laid, he fell on his face and prayed. Yeah, you know, prostrate. Kind of so there's, you know, there's all these different positions. To me, I was thinking as I was reading this that, and maybe you, tell me what you think about this idea, but I felt like to some extent, Paul is showing a measure of respect in addition
1: to submission. Yeah, I mean, you go back into Genesis, you know, one of Joseph's dreams about his brothers is that they would kneel before him. It's like... would well, not that the sheep? The, yeah, yeah. They're the going to bow. Of wool, they're going to be yeah. you know, prostrate before him or... Um you see that anywhere you know when you bow the knee, you know the the prophecy about Christ is every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, so in bowing the knee it 's as though you 're saying i 'm i 'm under submission to you, you Lord. have authority over me you 're better Lord. than me you 're more powerful than me, and I submit to you and so when you come before the Lord with bowed knees, it changes your posture, and when you change your bodily posture when you come in prayer or worship it it really does impact your heart so when i don 't know if, if you feel the same way, but if I get on my knees to pray, it changes the posture of my heart in addition to the posture of my body. I think it does that for for well, it does it for me, probably for
0: you also because you can 't escape the fact of what you 're doing anymore yeah. whereas if i 'm just sitting in a chair like I always sit in a chair and i 'm like okay it 's time to pray. I have one of those minds that's like potato 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 squirrel. You know, I just very distractible and as I start to pray I distract myself I think that's everybody. The thoughts. I, yeah, I think everybody does that. But if you're if you take a different posture, if you get on your knees or if yeah. you or if you lay flat, you know, whatever whatever posture it is that you take until you move back out of that posture, you can't get it out of your head what you're doing. And so I think that um that that's a value of changing your posture as you pray, whether you stand, whether you kneel, whether you lay down, whatever it is, as opposed to just, if you're going to say a quick prayer, if this is just like, thank you, Lord, for this food, I hope I don't spill it on my shirt. Uh, okay, fine.
1: Um, but if you're <laughs> this, talking this about... This is real problems for If us. you're talking
0: about a prayer of substance, yes. If you're talking about a prayer of substance, I think that postural changes um, help keep your focus. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Yeah, and there's significance here, too. You know, I don't... I, and. When Solomon builds the temple, so remember, Paul has just come out of talking about how we are now God's temple, that he dwells in us. Right. Um, He is building a house for himself and his church. And and so as soon as Paul gets done with that, he says, okay, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. One of the things that I find interesting about that is when Solomon first builds the temple – A 1,000 years before Christ, roughly, when he first builds the temple, the moment that he's done constructing the temple and the glory comes down and fills the temple, the first thing that Solomon does in response to that is Mm -hmm. to bow his knees in prayer, and he offers up the temple in dedication to the Lord, saying, you know, fill it and do these wonderful things among your people. And so Paul has just gotten done saying, you know what, you— are the temples. And then he bows his knee and then he prays that God would move mightily in his people. And so he's following the pattern that Solomon had. He bent his knee and praying that God would do great things as he manifests himself in the temple. So Paul opens up, says that, that for this reason
0: he bows his knees and then he goes on in the next verse and says from whom, about, he says he bows his knees before the father mm-hmm. um, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Um, what What's Paul talking about when he talks about this name concept? What's the idea there?
1: So, so there's a couple things at play here that kind of to give some historical context helps out what Paul's getting at. First off, when he says... You know, every family on heaven and earth is name. He actually uses a term for family that's not the normal one. Usually, when you're talking about family, you use the, the term for household, oikas. That's usually right. the most we common that you use for household. Talked about that last yeah, week. It's fact, been all right? over these passages. Right. Um, The next most common one is genos, which is where we get genealogy or genetics and stuff like like that. It's your family. It's your children. Family, tree,
0: descendants. That's correct. The
1: the word that he uses here is patria, which goes back to the idea of a father. And the idea is the oldest common ancestor among a people. Everybody who came from that person, like a great-grandfather or somebody, everybody under them is one family. And so the family is determined by the oldest common ancestor. It's where oh. we get like a patriarch, right? Patria. And so what this is saying, he's he's kind of poking an eye into Roman culture because Roman culture is very much about that idea, mm-hmm. very much about whoever the man is. He carries authority over every generation that comes after him, kind of like a tribal elder. Mm-hmm. And so when he's saying, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named— What he's saying to the Gentile who hears this is, you know, you lay down your submission and you give all authority to your earthly father. Wrong. there's There's a father far older and who has all of humanity. He is the common father for all of humanity. He created all of humanity, and so we owe our allegiance to him. He carries all authority, not your earthly father or grandfather. He carries it. And to the Jews, what he's saying here again is... They are part of your family. They are the common, he is the common father by, from which we all came, and so we are one family. Every family on heaven and on earth traces to him, and so he has earned and deserves all authority. Anytime you start talking about family relationships and fathers,
0: people's reaction to that is going to be all over the map because yep. some people have really good Relationships with their families and their fathers and some have horrible if they simply don't know their fathers and or it was a bad relationship. So anytime that you start to talk about the father figure in a family and the the authority that comes from the father
1: and the love that comes from the father, you're going to have different reactions to it. In the Roman era, the patriarchal system enabled these guys to become tyrants over their family, right. where they abused and where they took everything with selfish ambition. But the very next verse that we run into in verse 16, what does he use it for? It says that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And so here you have a father, and what's his goal? His goal is to take The abundance of the wealth, the riches of his glory. And what does he do with it? He pours it out for your sake. He wants you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Hmm. So he's selfless. He takes that authority. I'm the creator. I'm the designer. And and what is my plan to do with all this omnipotent power? Mm -hmm. It's to give it away. (laughs) <laughs> to, to flood it into you. It's radically different from what the Romans knew.
0: It's and, beautiful. And I think that one of the notes I made for myself was um, about this phrase, according to, that according to the riches of his glory. He didn't say that out of the riches of his glory he would grant you. He said according to the riches of his glory. So that he's essentially connecting this strengthening, this power through his spirit and our inner being to, this, to the vastness that is God's glory. Yeah.
1: Which is infinite.
0: Which is infinite. And so this, you know, it is a promise of infinite power in your inner being. And I I also think that it was interesting that he chose to to speak of strengthening with power through his spirit in your inner being. Yeah, that's so awesome. Because for people to be truly different, for the people of God to be truly different, there needs to be a radical change on the inside. Mm -hmm. You know, we… Um, you know, we can change our habits and practices to one degree or another. I mean, we've all, look, we've all made resolutions, you know, New Year's resolutions and other times. I'm going to stop eating junk food or I'm going to stop Staying up all night, I'm going to get more sleep or whatever. It usually takes us, it's a very short period of time before yeah. we give up on that resolution mm-hmm. because nothing has really changed about us on the inside.
1: So it's like, okay, out of the infinite abundance of my glory, so there's, there's the beginning where you think, my right. goodness, that's, that's really that's powerful. That's a lot of yeah. That's, that's of really powerful. He's going to strengthen you with power. And that, that, that word power, dynamite, I love this, but it's where we get the word dynamite. It's like this explosive, really, really powerful force through his spirit and in your inner being. And one of the reasons that I love that Paul praised this is there's such a rich, rich wisdom here that the spirit of God is pointing us toward, because when we... Come to the Lord in prayer. We usually pray for our outward circumstances to change. That's right. Right. Yes. But, you know, we we want to pray. You know, if if only I could fix this, or if only I could gain that, or only protect myself from this, or get rid of that. You know, and we're all focused on the external now. The Ephesians have lots. (laughs) You know, this is (laughs) this is a town that ran Paul out of town, fearing for his life. And now look diana of the Ephesians. Yes, the chanting. They are not big fans of the Christians, at least the ones that are outside. And so, they have lots of reasons for Paul to say, Man, I wish you, I, I want you to have safety and I want you to be loved and I want the town to, to celebrate you and I, I hope you're wealthy and I hope your fortunes change. And he could focus on all of those external things. But Paul recognizes that far more important than external circumstances, we know this in our own lives. Sure. Far more important than the external circumstance is to be radically changed and strengthened through the Spirit in our inner being. And the reality is I've seen in our community so many people, their outward circumstances look like they're just marvelous. They've got an abundance of wealth. They've got wonderful families. They've got jobs that are you know high in power and reputation, mm-hmm. and they are utterly miserable. And then we've seen people where their outward circumstances are absolutely <laughs> devastating, and they walk around with joy. Yeah. So if, if you could pray to have one of those— all the external things, yeah. or to have joy and peace in your heart. Which do you take? Yeah. You know, we chase after the external things, thinking that's going to produce something inside of us. And Paul is saying, no, you start from the inside and let the circumstances take care of themselves. Yeah. That's <laughs> that changes everything in the way that that you walk. In Second Corinthians, Paul says this: We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day even our health everything is everything around us we can't control it we can't control our health we can't control the stock market we can't control what happens to our children we can't control all of these things but in Christ your inner self is being renewed day by day mm. it stays in Christ it stays young mm. it keeps life it has peace it has joy regardless of all the explosions going on around you and when Paul prays that's what he wants yeah.
0: and as I, as I was breaking down this passage the next it's like the three verses go together because you can't you, you can't split them literally if you stopped <laughs> verse by verse here you would literally be interrupting yourself in mid like that yeah okay so <laughs> I was wondering, where where you go? Yeah, verse seventeen, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love see that 's be a fair place to stop right yeah. there, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God man so good. <laughs> that right so there good. is such a powerful passage and i mean breaking it down first of all yes christ lives in his people uh, uh, that's a, like a that's like a promise he makes mm-hmm. it you know his spirit is going to come and live in you so that's everybody but i think there's also a sense in which we can work to make it a more welcoming place for him to live you know mm-hmm. there's let's put it this way if you're going to make room for Jesus on the inside, there's probably some remodeling that needs to be done. <laughs> you're going to need an extra bathroom or two on the inside and a bigger bedroom. You know, if you're making room for Jesus in there, that there needs to be some remodeling done on the inside. And I think that that's kind of what he's getting at here when he talks about uh, that we're going to be strengthened with power through the Spirit and inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, yeah, we, that we're going to be remade in order to make ourselves. A more practical and effective
1: temple. Yeah. And and just we take we hear that and the in the Christian bubble, you know, Jesus lives in my heart, you know, or I'm a temple of, of the Holy Spirit. We talk about that with such ease. You know, and yeah. in the first century, this would have been unbelievably scandalous to both Jews and Gentiles. The Gentiles of that day believed that the body was corrupt. They thought, you know, You want to be a spirit. You want to get rid of the body because it's a corrupting thing. And so the idea that your body, yuck, that's dying and rotting away, like that's going to become a temple, gross. It would have been scandalous. And for the Jews, even more so, to say that the same God – who is so holy that you can't even go inside the temple without being struck dead. You can't grab the Ark of the Covenant with your bare hand without being struck dead, because that's where the glory of God dwells. To say that he's going to come and live in me, that I'm worthy of that, the Jews would have thought, oh, that's blasphemous to the core. It's such a wild thing to say that I have been made worthy to be the dwelling place of God. We so take that for granted, but that's a huge statement. Why God
0: you, lives in me. Why do you think that is, that we take it for granted? I, I wonder, because I, I agree with you. I, people say, you know, yes, I, I asked Christ into my heart. You know, Jesus lives in my heart. Okay, and how does that change you? How does yeah. that make you different? What is, and, and if you if you start to realize the enormity of it, I think that you lose the casualness of it.
1: Man, if I had to say one time in the life of Jesus where he, like people think, man, he lost his temper, where would you put it?
0: The uh, tables turning yeah. over turning when the tables. When he goes into
1: the temple and he drives out the money changers, sure. he breaks out whips, he's turning over tables. Why? He's doing that because he's so intent, zealous, it says on keeping the temple pure. He will not share the temple with all of these pagan influences and people that are trying to trash and defile the worship of God. And so if God dwells in you, then he turns over tables and breaks out whips. He will not share your Mm. heart Mm. with lesser things. And so if you're not feeling convicted by the Spirit, if you're walking around as the temple of God and you don't feel conviction at living in a manner that would make Jesus break out (laughs) whips and turn over (laughs) tables to cleanse your temple, you got to ask yourself some questions, man. God lives in you. He wants a pure temple. Now, he's not legalistic. You're covered by the blood. But that desire of yeah. God should be moving in you. Somebody listening to that would think
0: the first thing, or I would think, is oh, I have no idea how to do that. <laughs> and 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 this prayer here is saying that you're not going to be able to do that apart yeah. from the power of God.
1: Well, it says through the Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, not through obedience. Right. It doesn't say you have to be good enough. Right. It says through faith. Right. Through surrender. Through trusting.
0: And it says that you being rooted and grounded in love, I made a note to myself as I was reading that, that these are terms of, of biology and like construction, Mm -hmm. it be the idea of, of, of the root being, uh, that brings nourishment in I'm rooted. So that's how I get my nourishment and I'm grounded. Like, you know, that's the foundation. And so how is it going to be possible for you to comprehend the love of Christ? It's going to be possible when you are being nourished by him, mm-hmm. by his spirit, by the word, and when you're on the foundation of Christ and his word and that sort of thing. So you, if you're not on a solid foundation and you're not being properly nourished, the fact is that you're not going to be able to comprehend the full extent of the love that Christ has for you. Um, I think you kind of go back to the basics if you're mm-hmm. like, that just doesn't. It doesn't connect with me. It doesn't mean anything to me. You kind of go back to the basics, and you're like, okay, well, I need to be fed. I need to be built on a strong foundation.
1: That's right. And then even in that verse, in verse 17, when it talks about Christ dwelling in your heart by faith, it's temple language, but it's saying the, the word there that's established or grounded literally means to lay a foundation like you're talking about. And so you're laying a foundation, and what it's saying is if you're not building on top of that, if you're not building on love, then your temple, you're doing it wrong. right? Like, if your temple is not being constructed on a foundation of love, your temple's being built incorrectly.
0: Mm -hmm. In 1 Corinthians, where it talks about the the judgment seat of Christ, and it talks about, um, you know, he had been talking about the foundation that was the the apostles and and the faith that they were preaching the gospel they were preaching. And he talks about building on that foundation. And he talks about Mm -hmm. the different things that are built on the foundation. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he lists wood, hay, and, and he's, and if you're reading the King James, I don't know what the modern translation is stubble. Okay. So this idea of, um, that's kind of like the leftover, like when the crops are, are gathered in the stubble is the junk that's left behind. Basically things that can be burnt up, things that are, that are temporary. And those things are, are wiped away. Okay. But if you build on that foundation, gold, silver, and precious stones, which all of those are refined and purified by pressure and fire and heat, they're Mm -hmm. formed in heat. They're, they're purified by pressure and heat so that all of them are going to be made even better by those circumstances where the other ones will be destroyed. There is a sense in which, you know, we have this foundation and we have some agency in what we choose to build on it.
1: Yeah. And that passage of of 1st 1st Corinthians 3 is yeah. what we're talking about. Right. He talks about, you know, if you build on the foundation and you build with the good stuff, you go on and receive a reward for it. But if you're on the foundation and you're building with all the garbage, the wood, hay and stubble, right. you still go on to receive a reward. Yes. Which thank the Lord <laughs> is yes. all by his mercy. <laughs> If you're on the foundation, which is Christ, and you build with all the garbage, you still go on to receive the reward, but it talks about as one escaping through the flames. Like, you're taking nothing with you. Here in this life, we get a chance to build for eternity, and the way that you build into eternity is you care greatly for those things that are immortal, that are going to continue on into eternity. My car, not so much. My house, not so much. My bank account, not so much. Mark Lottenschlager, you're an immortal being. When I pour into you, when I build into you, that has ramifications into eternity When I care for people around me, those are beings that are immortal creatures, mm-hmm. they have eternal consequences. How I love and how I pour in and how I you know invest, that is where God is calling on us to pour out our hearts, to forget about the things that are going to be burnt away and, and that we're going to lose, that perish with time. pour into those things that are going to last forever, yeah. relationships
0: with this foundation that we're on and this nourishment that we're taking in from the word of God and the spirit of God, it says that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Uh, So it's just, he's describing the extent I think of, I think he doesn't say of the love of Christ, but then he says, and to know the love of Christ. I think he's, it's implied there that he's talking about Christ's love for us. Um, we were comparing notes. We had the same basic uh, breakdown of the of the breadth and length and height and depth. But this, um, but you got to I mean, ask
1: yourself before we get into them. Like, yeah, when you when you think about those of you who are listening, when you think about the breadth of God's love, what does it mean? When you think about the length of God's love, what does it mean? When you think about the height of God's love or the depth of God's love, what does it mean? Because it's funny, we came up with the exact same things, and so I think those it's intended to provoke those responses so you want to kind of walk through what we what we came to yeah
0: i mean we talked about the the breadth of god's love being that that the sort of the width of it the it encompasses the entire earth it encompasses everyone and everything in all of creation every nation every nation and that the length of his love is eternal it began in eternity past and it continues into eternity in the future so the length of his love is eternal it's it without um you know without measure and then as far as, you know, the, the depth of his love, well, it reaches as deep as death on the cross. And then what comes next? The grave. I mean, into Sheol, the place of the dead, you know, yeah. it's like, it's, it's as, just as deep as you can possibly get. And then it goes, it's, it's height is higher than the tallest mountain because we're seated in the heavenlies. It reaches all the way to heaven. So it's the entire world lasts forever to the absolute depth of even the grave and then to the heights of heaven. In other words, it's everything. It's everywhere. The love of Christ is by every conceivable measurement. It is as big as you can possibly measure
1: this. uh, One of the things when I first read that verse 18, it says, you know, he's praying that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of God? What's really, what, what kind of like hit me upside the head in that passage is it says, he's praying for you to have the strength to comprehend or to grab hold of right. the love of God. Does that strike you as, as weird? Like he's praying, you have to have strength in order to understand or comprehend the love of God. Is it, that, like, that blows me away. It, so I sat and I thought on that for a minute. Why in the world do I need to be strengthened? And then I did a, a Greek word study. So I apologize to the nerds out there. You'll enjoy this. Everyone else, bear with me. Welcome, Bible nerds. Here's your
0: cyber hug for the day.
1: So that word strengthen happens one time in the entire Bible. That Greek word only shows up one time. It's exestuo, and and the Strong's New Testament lexical dictionary it says this that that word is the strongest word available to indicate strength or ability. It's stronger than a shuo, which is in turn stronger than dunamai, which is where we get dynamite. It means that you have. A power that cannot fail. It's like superhero power. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, you need that strength, this unbelievably powerful strength in order to bear or grab hold of the love of God. And I sat there thinking about that. And what it's saying is, if you grab hold of the love of God, you'd better be – you'd better better have strength. Because what it's going to do – it's like grabbing hold of a live wire – it is going to move you, (laughs) you know, it is going to change you. It is going to cause your life to be turned upside down, and you need to be strengthened to encounter how revolutionary, how unbelievable the love of God is. It's it's that love that leads Paul to go from city to city to city, getting beaten and stoned and whipped and chased out and hated everywhere he goes and ultimately to go to Rome. where his head is going to be chopped off. That's the kind of love for people, for Gentiles, for the Lord, that leads Paul's life to be absolutely turned upside down. And if you comprehend the love of God, if you get the breadth and the height and the depth and the length of the love of God, it is going to turn your life upside down. And you need to be strengthened for that. Mm -hmm. That's what Paul, I think, is getting after here.
0: I think also it's something that can't be perceived with just natural intelligence. Totally, if,
1: it's an it, the ability to <clears throat> right. get it.
0: If you and I are having a conversation and I I say to you, "Last week I did this," or "When I was a kid, this happened," or "You know, ten years down the road, I'm looking forward to whatever." Those are time frames that you have a reference to. You've lived in those kind of time frames, and so you understand what I'm talking about. We've got a, a common phrase of reference. But if I were to say to you, Sam from eternity past and you'd be like okay that's a very that's a pretty big flowery <laughs> what does that mean from eternity past and you know god is an eternal being so he did have things from eternity past and he exists outside of time so he exists now in the eternal future so how do i how do i perceive that that's something hey. that i can't perceive or really even get a glimpse of yeah. apart from revelation apart from something apart from spiritual sight apart from the spirit giving me the strength on the inside what do you think it means when he says comprehend with all the saints is it just like i want all of you to know that it, or or what do you think he's getting at when he says with all the saints
1: i think that this is it's saying it's it's another one of these times where it's saying this is not a relationship that you pursue purely individually yeah that it's something that you're called into this love with your neighbors. Right. Like, this is something we do together.
0: Through this whole series now, we've been using language that describes you in amazing terms. <laughs> yeah, really and, amazing. And you're thinking, oh, these things aren't true about me. Yes, they are. And when you
1: begin to understand that they're true about you, when you take that on the inside, then the outside begins to change. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things when when, we're, when it's talking about that all this happens with all the saints, it's another one of those things where like some of the deepest, sweetest, best moments that I've ever had with Christ were facilitated by somebody else. Absolutely. It's in community. It's, Absolutely. it's walking through these seasons, seeing the Lord almost through the eyes of someone else who's with me. They bring it out of me in a way that I can't do it on my own. It's like when people tell me, you know, well, I worship God on my own. I don't need... To go to church i don 't need to be part mm-hmm. of a community it 's like well, then you do not understand the scriptures because here in ephesians you'll notice we've talked about this before. Paul is always talking to plurals he's always. All, all, it, it, the promises to us and you all it's it's always that he's expecting us to do life together, and the strength of Christ comes together through his body, which is the people of God, the church, and to be detached from that is crazy you're missing the whole point of what he's getting at you can't do this faith alone and and i think that there's
0: obviously there are there are you
1: know rare what what if
0: what if i was stranded on a desert island i'm like okay so that's different all right you can talk to wilson if you have the basketball (laughs) (laughs) everything comes down to a tom hanks movie reference at some point Obviously, there are rare and unique circumstances in which somebody would be completely isolated, and then and and God, I think, would sustain their faith in that situation because He's God, and that's what He does. But I do think that it, that the point of this, this you know, comprehend with all the saints, is that this is something that it's so big that unless this is kind of a community lens, a group lens, because you're going to see a different piece of it or part of it than I am, I'm going to see a different piece or part of it than you are, and as we tell each other and share with each other about what we've perceived and what God's doing. We we contribute to that bigger picture Mm -hmm. we understand it then because we all understand different parts of it
1: but think about think about the way that Paul is talking he's talking in terms from Ephesians 2 picking it up again here in Ephesians 3 that God is on a mission to build a house for himself using his people right all of us are living stones that he is coming putting together into a house where he's going to dwell and so imagine being one stone that's off by itself going I don't want to be a part of that house (laughs) you know that's not your call his Whole, his whole point is, is to bring his people together yep. to form a house. You yep. can't do it on your own. Yep. Or to say, you know, I don't think I need to
0: sit on the foundation. I'll sit over here by myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, missing, so, you're missing it. What's going to happen to you is when the weight gets put on you, your stone is going to just sink <laughs> down into the ground <laughs> yeah. and get covered up in the mud and look just like all the mud that's around it. If I have a choice as a stone being part of the – I would like to be on that foundation. Yes. Um, so verse 19 says to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And to me, Sam, as I was reading this, the the key to being filled with the fullness of God, the key to I, I, that is a reference, I think, to Christ also, because he, he writes in. Um, Colossians, it Colossians? Mm-hmm. I think it's Colossians two nine, where he says that Jesus is um, all the fullness of the Godhead
1: dwells in him bodily. Right. So Jesus is the fullness of God. Yeah, and that I, that idea. I mean, think about he, he's filled. Okay, that would be nice if he, if he just said filled with God, but he doesn't say that. He, he doesn't say filled with the fullness of God. He says filled with all the fullness of God. Like he is so stressing this mm-hmm. um, that like to try and think about. Being filled with all the fullness of God, it's one. It's communicating purity. If it's not saying that this infinite God and everything that He is and every bit of His attributes is, I can house it. It's impossible. I'm a finite creature. You can't I'm not hold infinite. It all. Right. But what it's saying is, you are so filled with all the fullness of God, there is no room. For anything else it's like the love of christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of god that in time all the different parts of me that are that are sinful or rebellious go away and the spirit of god floods through me and makes me every bit of the person that i was created to be with all my uniqueness mm-hmm. but it's so absolutely saturated with the fullness of God that there's no room for any corruption left in there it's yeah. just it's over like his spirit is so totally overpowering and pure in me that's the prayer it's and it's mind boggling yeah. to imagine it's, that being the case like i can't i can't imagine what that looks like but that's the mission and that's going to be the case forever you know john the baptist he was talking about
0: their relative reputations and importance in the society he wasn't talking about something on the inside but when he was talking about Jesus, he said, look, I must decrease so yeah. that he can increase. Um, I look at that some, as a little bit of what's taking place on the inside. The bottom line is we need to kind of get out of the way mm-hmm. so that Christ can increase in us. Yeah. Um, and the, the job that I have, if I have a job in this, um, the job that I have is to look for those parts of me that have no – resemblance to him (laughs) that have no connection to him um and those are the parts of me that i need to decrease that i need to eliminate yeah prune them you know i need to get rid of you know because if, if when i find areas of pride or of greed or of selfishness or of lust or of all these different things those are things that those are the things i need to turn my attention to and say look lord that's not Part of you. And the more of those things that we push out and get rid of, the more of Him there will be to replace that. So that's the process. I mean, if I'm going to use a big fancy theological word, I would say that is the process of sanctification. Mm -hmm. That the process of eliminating and pruning, as you said, these parts of us, Um, the Spirit does that. We cooperate with the Spirit Mm -hmm. in doing that. And then eventually what you have left is the healthy vine, the plant, you know, the true life. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, in this life we're not yet free from the power of sin, but one day we will be, and that's glorification when we'll be freed from even the presence of sin. But one of the things that I like about this passage and just thinking, you know, that that his prayer is that we would be filled with all the fullness of God, there's this idea that God is pouring into us, Right. And he fills all of us to where there's no room for anything else. Right. When you get into heaven and you're glorified and you're 100%, you know, the fullness of God, you're 100% pure at that point, glorified, there's no sin remaining. It's not like you stop there. You know, throughout eternity, you're going to continue to grow in Christ. This is something that really excites me, by the way, because when we think of glory, we think, okay, I get up there and I'm perfect, great. But the way that... The New Testament describes what god's purpose is with us in heaven. It says that we be you know partakers of the divine nature that he's going to share his glory with us that he's he's going to pour his attributes into us forever, and we don't stop growing you know just because he mm-hmm. pours his fullness we don't stop growing, but we absorb as finite creatures more of his love and more of his mercy, more of his grace, more of his holiness, more of his and we're going to continue to grow in perfection toward infinity, never reaching it, right. but we will get better and better and better and better and more fulfilled and more peaceful and more loving forever. We're going to become more and more like him toward his infinity, but never quite getting there, mm. sharing in his attributes and growing in his attributes, being filled with all the fullness of God, which is infinite forever, mm. growing more like him. Mm. It's it's a fascinating thought. You're never going to get bored there. This idea that one day you're going to wake up and go, yeah. You know what? I I've sampled God's love. No, you haven't. <laughs> here there's, comes some more. There's more of it still to come. Oh. Yeah.
0: So we find ourselves now at the doxology uh, here at the end of it. I mean, how many times have we heard this as the benediction in church? And it just we just like okay, finish it up quickly. I got the parking lot. I got lunch. You know, you, you, what does this mean to people? It means the end of the yeah. church service most of the time. <laughs> but but again in, our, in breaking this down now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to once again here's the according to that meaning in 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 proportion to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in christ jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen It is, yes, it is the way that you conclude the church service. However, it is a—it's an astonishing thing to think about because the first question I have for you is, Sam, how big can you ask or think? (laughs) You know, it's like, you know, we can can dream big. We can have these big dreams and hopes and aspirations and everything else, and we can ask for what we perceive to be the most outrageous thing, and yet God is able to exceed that
1: Mm -hmm.
0: to an Unmeasurable, un- not. You had an interesting note about the word abundantly.
1: Yeah, this is this is where Paul makes up a word. This is his sniglet. Yes, <laughs> so it's like he takes all of the available Greek words here, and none of them are sufficient to talk about how well God is going to provide for you. Right? <laughs> like all that you can ask or imagine that when it talks about exceedingly or immeasurably, he actually makes up a word there that is hyper and what he does, and I love this, he takes basically three different prefixes, hyper, which means like way above, yeah. w- above, ek, which means all outside, and peri, which means around, so hyper, ek, perisu. And what he's saying is, this is so above and outside of and all around of. Like when I think of it, I think of like something that's just overflowing. Just it, It's shooting up, it's shooting out, it's all around. It can't be like contained. It cannot yeah. possibly be contained. So it's way bigger than anything that can be contained. So you ask, you imagine, and God is just blowing the walls out of whatever you're you're, you're trying to do. That's basically what it's getting at. And I love that Paul makes up a word because he's like, none of these Greek words. <laughs> are sufficient this will not do <laughs> and that's hyper. for you i have a word for you let's bring in hyper and Eck and perry suit like mm. he's he's making his own word to yeah. explain it is so much more beyond even what words can communicate of what you ask or imagine
0: and i and i know that again there's going to be somebody listening to us talk about this and there's this, this sort of this effusive language as we Mm -hmm. are and they're going to say well that's easy for you guys that's easy to say and i get that i understand me too i have been in those dark places where i'm like there is no way
1: back there's not i know that it sounds like oh that's easy for you to say you know i remember and i think everybody has these kinds of moments but uh, you've shared a, a story similar to this but when i was teaching at wa i remember we were wrapping up the day we probably had maybe 45 minutes left um and I got a phone call. It came to my classroom. It was rare that I got a phone call in my classroom. And it was my brother Mike and he said, "Are you sitting down?" And I was like, "No." And he says, "Well, you need to sit down." And I thought, "Oh man, mom or dad, would, yeah. you know, yeah. something happened." And he says, "Mom has uh, she's had a heart attack. Something's gone wrong." They believe that she's got an aneurysm on her ascending aorta, and they're telling us prognosis is poor. She's not likely to make it. You need to get in a car and get up to be able to say goodbye to mom in time. And so I immediately ran from my class to get to my car. Told someone to you know cover my class. I'm I'm out. You know, probably not the best thing to do as a teacher, but I wanted. I was desperate to get to my mom. Sure. And so I'm getting on 95, heading up to Vero Beach where they live, at two hours north of here, and breaking all kinds of laws. And in the process, I'm like thinking, Am I going to get to say goodbye? You know, all the, I can't, I can't control this. Like, I hope I get to hold her hand one more time. I hope I get to tell her I love her, you know. Right. And I'm flying up 95, sobbing. And I remember in that, just turning to prayer and saying, God, I am so grateful that she knows you. Yeah. Yep. And if there's somebody who's going to take care of my mom, I know you love her more than I do, more than my dad does. She's safe with you, and like I, it turned into this very bizarre, you know, worship experience. This most overwhelming sense of peace and drawing yep. near to the Lord, and just loving Him for knowing that He was going to take care of her. That's what we're talking about here. It's this this. Power that, that is inside of us that Christ gives us that when we root ourselves to just this absolute confidence that he is good and that he loves us and he is going to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, right? right. He is. Yeah. And we might not see it. Our circumstances might not change. But in the ultimate scheme of things, my hope, as Paul's hope is, is that he is writing an eternal plan that is absolutely beautiful, that I can hang all of my hopes on, and I can trust that he is going to make it beautiful, even when I can't make sense of it, his power is at work in us. And we grab hold of those promises, and we absorb and reflect on his love, and that is powerful.
0: And that is the sense, I think, in which we see the concluding verse, to him be glory in the church. Um, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. It is, you know, it's, it's in that reality and those moments that God is the one that gets the glory from that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that, uh, you know, I, I, these weeks are kind of running together, but in one of the past episodes, <laughs> we, we talked about the fact that, well, I guess it was actually just last week, wasn't it? Because, yeah, Paul was talking to the, in his, le, in the, uh, and last week he was saying that his imprisonment was to their glory yeah. to the gentiles glory um and we Verse talked 13. about the fact that we talked about the fact that um that there isn't uh, an individual there's not a sam's glory and a mark's glory there's god's glory god gets the glory if if we're doing it right if we're living right if we're doing as living as he wants us to he's the one that gets the glory in that and that's the thing about Okay, well, how does God get the glory from the church? Well, for one thing, the church needs to get out of its own way. You know, it ne- we need to stop with the things that are temporal, the things that are part of this. You know, we don't need to be worried about, and I'm going to step on toes here a little bit. We don't need to be worried about political candidates. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. That's not the church's business. The church's business is the gospel and glorifying our Father. And yes, I understand we need to be good citizens. Yes, we need to vote our conscience. Yes, we need to do all these things. We need to, you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting an unpatriotic idea here, but I'm saying that when the church is consumed with things other than the gospel and and other than, you know, living out this love of Christ in community, that that that's the point at which, we're not that glory is not getting to him. So, you, you know, you want to see God receive glory in the church. The church needs to get out of its own way. Yeah,
1: we are about a citizenship in heaven. We're ambassadors. here. We are our, our seats are in heavenly places. And God has commissioned us to carry out a mission here on earth to point to things that are eternal. Right. not temporal and that doesn't mean that i don't vote i vote every time me too and i vote for
0: a candidate that is that you know i i understand my values and their values and i try to listen to their message and look you know i make try to make the wisest decision i can but i'm not here to Pierce. convince anybody about a candidate you know so that's and, not why and I'm and here. i get
1: like i'm somebody that i <clears throat> i get i get passionate about sure. political things sure um But here's the deal. I've got a mark in myself, and I've got to have a gut check moment when I start realizing that my citizenship of this country is drawing more passion out of me than my citizenship in heaven. And I can look around at the church, people I love to pieces, and me, myself, and I can say, man, if we had this much passion for the things of God as we do about political stuff— We'd have revival. Yeah. And there
0: would be to him be glory in the church. That's right. <laughs> you know, that would be happening.
1: So we need, we need to value the things of heaven, the, our citizenship in the heavenly kingdom and our savior from there, our king who is there more than we care about the king here. Right. And again,
0: <laughs> you know, we said it already. That doesn't mean that we're saying, oh, you shouldn't vote or you shouldn't care. You should. But that should be, you know, your primary citizenship is in heaven. So this is sort of a, a kind of a conclusion of the first part of the letter. We were talking before we turned the mics on. I said that the end of this, that verse t- uh, 21 here is I felt like Paul got to this point. This looked at the scribe and said, so you want something to eat <laughs> break for lunch, you know, and it, because the letter continues and we'll be continuing with it. But this definitely kind of wraps up um you know a, a a a section of it right mm-hmm. i mean we're kind of we're kind of come to the end of it
1: yeah so, so when we pick up going from chapters 4 to 6 it's kind of like okay now here's what you do with everything that we've talked about by the power of the holy spirit it's not you know something you conjure up but here's the implications of believing everything we've talked about in the last 3 chapters that god has done all of this for you and empowers you in all these ways now this is this is the way that works itself out in your life so he's been
0: building in and mm-hmm. and that's going to now work itself out
1: absolutely yeah so that's uh first three chapters vertical, the next three chapters horizontal, how, how we love each other and in for this you, world.
0: for you bullet journal guys out there, if you put all that together, you get the little cross, the little plus sign, and then, and then it's done. <laughs> See? They start with the one, the, the line, and then they draw the other line. I don't know which way it is. Which way is it? I, I'm not a bullet journal guy. I'm not even guy. sure. three minutes ago. They, they draw a line one <laughs> okay. way, and then they draw the line the other way, and then it's done. So, whichever way that is. But yes, we have the, this has been the vertical portion and we're, we're going to get into the horizontal portion. Um, but that's really what... Uh, which do you like better? Are you a vertical
1: Portion guy or a horizontal portion?
0: I have to tell you that I'm more of a horizontal. Okay, guide. good,
1: because I'm a vertical guy.
0: Right. And, and I know that about you. And I, <laughs> I do. I know that about you. Um, and that's good because you inspire me a lot to think about these high thoughts, to think these high thoughts, to perceive, to think these about God's glory and to think about. And, and that's good for me because I need to put that stuff in my head. Um, but I'm, I'm a real nuts and bolts kind of guy. I'm like, yeah. okay, so what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. Because one of the things about this is that I tend to look at myself and say, If I don't see the things happening that I think should be happening, then I'm not doing something right on the other side. So Mm -hmm. maybe, so I, you know, I start with the breakdown on the horizontal and look to the vertical. And I think there's other people that, you know, they, they look to the vertical and then they think, but what am I supposed to be doing with all of this? Mm -hmm. So, you know,
1: to be well rounded, to have the complete thing, you really have to have both. When I would do sermon prep at home, I would get done with a sermon and at the end of it, I'd look at my wife kind of like, what'd you think? And she would be like, and? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if I were to
0: preach a sermon, somebody would probably be coming to me and go, why? <laughs> you know, kind of so there we are. You, you, you leave them wanting to know and, and I'm, they listen to me and they go, well, why? Yeah. So hopefully between the two of us, we manage to get this whole thing out in front of them. We hope that you've enjoyed your time with us and that uh, this uh, exploration of the first half of the letter to Ephesians has been profitable. As always, I'd like to encourage you to follow along, not just with these podcasts, but to get the complete story and the other part of what's going on is to keep up with our series of messages, one body, one mission, which is being uh, we're going through that right now at Rio Vista Community Church. You can find those messages on our app or on our website. Keep up with that, as well as these podcasts to give you the full picture of uh, of our progress here through the book of ephesians we're going to be back with the as sam said the the horizontal the outward working part of all of this stuff that's gone in now goes out that starts with uh, chapter four and we'll be picking that up with our next episode we hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly you can find out more about out of water catch up on past episodes and access show notes at our website riovistachurch.com slash out of water.